Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Under the Shield Fight in Progress podcast. Each week, we discuss the personal internal fights challenging law enforcement officers today with our candid conversations about mental wellness, relationships, community, stress coaching, training, and much, much more. And now, please join me in welcoming our hosts, Susan Lewis-Simmons and Ace Walker. Welcome to the very first episode of Fight in Progress, the first Under the Shield podcast. How's it going? Good. How are you this morning? Doing all right. You ready? I'm ready. I've been ready. What are you talking about? We've been talking about this for quite a while now. We have. I'm excited to be here. This is the first anything like this I've ever done. So We're glad to have you here. I've done a few of these, being the person being interviewed, but never the one being hosting on this end. So So what are we going to talk about? I don't know. This is your show. What do you want to talk about? (laughs) (laughs) You're the one who named this thing. Looks like we've come to an end. (laughs) Um... Yeah, so I mean, when I when when you kind of brought up the idea of a podcast, I mean, I listen to so many podcasts. Yes, I was you do. I was excited. I didn't even really care what it was about. You're so, the podcast king. So here I am. Plus, I mean, anybody who knows me knows that I can talk. So it doesn't really matter what the topic is. I'm sure I'll have an opinion on it. And he has his notes over here, by the way, too, so he can have his little script I written out. I can't help it. I can't. <laughs> he's he's very type A. <laughs> so what what are we going to be doing with this first episode coming up next week? Well, we've got a great guest coming with us next week, Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman. A, very dear friend, someone that I have known for about 25 years and have had the honor of sharing the stage with him. It's a little intimidating if you've ever heard Dave to have to follow him. He's a bit of a personality. But I'm told I can hold my own, so I guess we'll see what he has to say next week. I'm excited to have that conversation. I've been reading his book, and I'm I'm pretty excited to have some questions for him, but I'm sure he'll just talk away. He will, mm-hmm. and an hour will be probably going to be cutting him short. <laughs> because the man, talk about somebody who can talk about his topic because he's very passionate. So we're going to be working on, what, half-hour shows? Is that what we're going to be scheduling for people? Um, so we're going to have Dave on for probably about an hour, which okay. will be pushing his time limit there because he <laughs> normally goes a lot longer than that. But you've never had the honor of seeing him, have you? I've never met him. Read his books, looked up his information, watched videos of him on YouTube, never met him in person. It's going to be pretty exciting. He's quite the character, I yeah. assure you, and we'll have lots of information for us and for our audience. So who's our audience? Who are we trying to reach out to and talk to? Um, To me, I think this, with it being fight in progress, with everything that's going on nowadays, we're looking primarily at law enforcement, civilian and military. Um, But I think this will also apply to our uh, firefighters, EMTs, uh, because we're going to be talking over the next year about stress, Mm -hmm. how it impacts the families. Um, You know, to me, when you came up with the name fight in progress, I kind of saw that as Lots of areas, meaning from the fight within yourself over this career, as you know, which mm-hmm. is a lifestyle, and issues at home, issues on the street, issues within the department, lots of areas that we can cover yeah. this topic. Yeah, I know when I first started coming to you, for those of you who don't know, uh, my background with Susan was uh, we met through basically counseling services. <laughs> Wait a minute. Not counseling services. Well, would, would Get you? it straight. Okay. Stress you tell me. coaching. Stress coaching. So yes. I never know what to call her. Therapist, stress coach, mom number hey two. Hey, you. What, I'm what's never your sure. name? So I, start, I, I sought her out through a, a friend who recommended her to me. And I was having troubles both at work and in my marriage and trying to sort that stuff out. And turns out it's all kind of connected, how all that kind of stuff works. So um, that's how I came to know Susan. And she ended up helping me with my family. 
He's a work in progress. So don't hold this against me as a, as a test case or anything yet. We're still working. So that's how we kind of came to know each other, and we started just brainstorming stuff and thinking and talking. And like I said, you all know me. I don't shut up. So He doesn't. You're mm -hmm. right. Um, but what did you foresee when you came up with that name, Fight in Progress? Well, I, I thought about the things that we would talk about and the issues that I, I'm very outspoken in my own department and in my own divisions at my department. I always have a lot of ideas or criticism and whatever. Not that's been any help most of the time. Um, I'm still trying to work out how to, how to apply those things properly. But it was having those discussions. Um, we were coming up with a lot of good solutions that were working in my life and at work and with my family. Um, and I felt like this is... A conversation that more people would want to be a part of and I felt like this was something that was important especially the people in this community law enforcement community that I know I'm not military or anything else um, but I know some guys in my department who are and they love these same kind of conversations and they really dig in when it comes to wanting to make positive change for them and their work environment and trying to stand for something and have purpose and have meaning and really uh, bring that all together while having a healthy life and that's really a difficult balancing act to have it is especially in this day and time. I've been doing this 28 years now at Under the Shield and a lot of changes over the years. Um, we like to talk about it being mental wellness rather than mental health mm -hmm. because you guys don't really like that term mental health because <laughs> you start thinking I'm going to say you're crazy, which you are, don't get me wrong. But there's a difference in what y'all do and then when we start talking about mental illness things. So we talk about mental wellness here. Y'all have been MMPI'd to death and mm -hmm. psych tested and everything else. So it's time that we start having the conversations regarding the aftermath of a lot of the stuff that you deal with and you see on a daily basis. It's not just about shootings. It's not just about um, death and dying. Sometimes it's just the frustration of your job can impact children. And for those of you who have children, that can kind of hit close to home sometimes too. Yeah, I feel like the, the conflict with what a lot of us go into the job thinking is that we're like, signing up to be the hero and we're yes. going to go and do the good yes. thing and chase the bad guy yes. and there's a lot more to it than that there's a lot of politics at play and there's a lot of things relationship building and trying to balance what we thought we were going to do yes. with what the job really is yes. right and, and that's and that it's a difficult thing to to confront and i think some people get out and some people kind of find their own way through it and there there are some of us who want to kind of balance all of that out instead of just, you know, sure. taking the easy route. Sure. Well, and we want to start to also change the dialogue because the environment is changing that you're policing in yeah, and no we're kidding. losing too many people. We're losing, uh, there are too many walking away from this and we can't really afford to have those with the true experience walking away and just have a lot of new people out here trying to figure out what this lifestyle is and how it works and yeah, that kind of stuff. Plus, you know, we're going to talk about some training issues over the year. We're going to talk about sleep deprivation. Um, I'm a big believer in addressing things like adrenal fatigue or adrenal insufficiency. There are actually people who say it's, there's no such thing. And if that's the case, I got a lot of people crashed for nothing <laughs> then. Because I think you were, were you, when you took that test, were you wired and tired or crashed? I was wired. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You're headed for crashed. Yeah. Um, and I want to talk about vitamins and minerals and natural sleep stuff and all of those kinds of things over, over these podcasts. And, and of course we want the audience to also feel like this is your podcast. This is as much for you as it is for me and ACE. And we want you to send us topics. We're going to put up our, uh, phone numbers and our emails at the end. And we hope you'll reach out to us and let us know what you're interested in, what your families are interested in.
because this is a lifestyle. We want to make sure kids and spouses, significant others are all involved in the topics that we're going to be covering. Yeah, working on this stuff has been huge for my marriage and my wife. Um, she comes with me when we talk, and it's been a huge difference in how we communicate, which I find is the biggest issue between um, the spouses when one of them's in law enforcement or both. I know plenty of couples that are in law enforcement together, which I think is crazy, but that's up to them. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's but, a unique aspect. Yeah. Let's, that, let's yeah. say that. But I think uh, starting to understand some of the stresses that we go through, because I always thought like, Mr. Happy-go-lucky, I'm not stressed, I'm not worried. And I think that's just, a, it's, it's just an ignorance on understanding what stress is. It could be good, bad, whatever. It's just change. And anything that's changing, like our job always is, is going to cause things to happen with your body and with your mind. And it's better to understand those things so that you can cope with them properly. Absolutely. Let's, so, let's head it off. Let's be proactive. I yeah. think we've been reactive too long in this industry. And we've led people to believe that the things they're thinking and feeling are not normal. And the reality is, is because nobody's talking about you guys aren't walking around headquarters going, yeah, yeah, man, my sleep sucks. And, (laughs) and I'm fighting with my wife and all of these kinds of things. And so people don't realize it's actually the norm, but we can change that. Yeah. And that's the best part of it. Yeah. And that, and that's why I think we're going to have guests on like Grossman who specialized in psychology and all the issues that, um, people in this type of field, he started in law enforcement. If you guys don't know Grossman, he started with a huge background in military. He was military, military historian, if I'm, cur- if I'm understand that he correctly. He was paratrooper, and then army was a, ranger. Yeah. And then he was a psych, he was a psychologist at West Point or a professor of psychology at Taught West Point. psychology. Yes. Um, and so he has this huge background in psychology that when he got out, um, he started aiming that more towards law enforcement training with his, uh, I don't know if it's a business, but it's, it, it's, it is. Yeah. The, the philology. Yes. Right? And so he started working towards that to help people understand, uh, some of the psychology of an aspect of the job. Right. And there's a lot of aspects of our job dealing with anything from kids to active shooters to administration, which is the greatest enemy. <laughs> but so. here's a little tidbit you don't know about Dave, I bet. Cause yeah. I don't think it's in his books. His father was a police officer. I didn't know that. Yes. And Dave loves to tell the story about his parents one time out uh, walking in a grocery store or someplace, and his, his mom always knew not to be on the gun side, which I don't think a lot of spouses even think twice about that Mm-mm. anymore. And there was actually, I believe it was like an armed robbery or something in progress. And they were present, and his, da- his dad handled that situation, I believe. We will get him to clarify oh, no all kidding. of that. Oh, yeah, we'll have to hear but that. But yes, one. he grew up in a law enforcement family. Absolutely. Okay. Well, that explains why he has that passion. Then. And his, and he has sons. One of his sons, I know, is probably on, I don't know if he's still in, but he did at least seven or eight deployments oh, wow. between Afghanistan and Iraq. And so he's, he's got a real history in all of these things. And yeah. his perspective is, is quite interesting. And I've certainly been a follower of his, uh, given our friendship mm-hmm. for many years and, um, believe in all of his books till he gets to the science fiction stuff he talks about. And that <laughs> kind of freaks me out a little bit, but anyway, <laughs> um, and he's got some great books too, obviously about, um, children, um, uh, mm-hmm. being raised in law enforcement families. And, mm-hmm. uh, so it's going to be interesting to get his perspective. Dave, as long as I've known him well over two decades has been traveling about 300 days a year. Jeez. And now with COVID, mm-hmm. He's been home, so I'm really anxious to see what he's been doing these last. I think I saw him out at Luke Air Force Base probably 
sometime around the first of the year, You're February, be real March. Upset when he hands you another sci-fi book, he might, and I'm gonna give it back to him because <laughs> um, it freaks me out. But he uh, he's never been home this long. Yeah. And so I'd kind of like talk to his wife to be honest with you. She might have an interesting perspective <laughs> too. But I'm sure he's been spending time with grandkids and stuff. Yeah. But let's talk a little bit too about our other guests that we've already yeah. got in the pipeline. You named a couple, yeah. Yes. Can't uh, tell you exactly when they're all going to be on, but we will certainly be putting this information out as we get them lined up. Uh, I'm looking to have Lieutenant Rich Mack from the NYPD. Okay. Hopefully that Monday, the week of September 11th. I guess he was around then, right? Oh, he was there. That's how I met Rich. Uh, he was kind of our tour guide, so to speak, mm -hmm. during the five weeks that I spent up there in the pit with him and at the landfill. And Rich was very instrumental in getting a lot of the services and things set up, especially at the landfill, yeah. which was a story in itself. But I want to get his perspective. He was the lieutenant, if you saw the news, probably about a month ago now, that um, they... During the protest, right? Yes, there, mm -hmm. were, there was a clash and some Antifa groups were there. And I know it was the same clash where the chief of the NYPD, which is a little bit confusing to people because when we think of chiefs down here, mm -hmm. but the chief up there is actually the highest ranking uniform position. Okay. And I know that he got into something. I think a lot of people saw that on the news when the woman hit him over the head with mm -hmm. a, some kind of cane or pole or something. Mm -hmm. And Rich and those were on bike patrol. He'll have to tell us he's, got, he's in a specialty unit, but he being rich and once we have him on the show, you'll understand. Mm -hmm. Rich is going to get into things, even though he's been there 25 years. Good for him. And he wound <laughs> up getting hit in the orbital bone by a guy brass with... Brass knuckles, right? It was jewelry made to be like brass knuckles. Lovely. And it messed him up pretty good. Yeah, I saw the pictures. Yep, broke the orbital bone, and he's had to have some facial reconstruction. And oh, talked to him last week, and still a little blurry, I think, in the vision. Yeah. Um, so I think he'll be able to speak to kind of the differences that have changed from 9-11 when that absolutely. happened and kind of the unity that we all had together with yes. law enforcement, fire, military. And now when there's this huge divide, I think that'll be a really interesting perspective that he'll have better than either of us. And I'm anxious to see if he is going to retire now because I've kind of been encouraging yeah. that direction. I don't know. He, he won't stay out of the fight. That's for sure. We're seeing a lot of retirements across the board, my department included. Everywhere. Yeah. Medical retirements, especially all over the place, usually psychological medical retirements. And I tell you, Under the Shield has been busier than ever in the office here and on our, on our crisis line, which we're going to give you that number also. It's a 855 number you can call 24-7 and get one of our stress coaches. We have them all over the country, and we even have two in Canada. Probably up here somewhere on the screen behind <laughs> me because wonderful producer Chuck is magical like that. Yes, Chuck is going to be our voice. Um, you won't, I don't know that you'll ever see Chuck. We may, we may keep him as the mystery <laughs> man, uh, but he's our wonderful producer who set all of this stuff up for us and has a background in law enforcement. Chuck, you want to tell us a little bit about, about your history here? Oh, I'm, I'm nobody important. Yes, you are. You're making us look good. <laughs> He's that guy behind the curtain. <laughs> That's right, behind the curtains. Yeah, pay no attention. We can call him the wizard. <laughs> well, you know, I, I was a police officer in the 80s and 90s, and uh, all this stuff going on to me, I have a lot of opinions about it. And uh, Yes, he does. I think there's a lot of solutions out there people aren't considering, and I think we better get to it and start mm -hmm. considering it fast before the profession goes away. And I know that sounds crazy, but I thought I predicted this... 10 years ago, this was starting 
with some of the policies. And, you know, when they removed Daryl Gates as the last civil servant chief of police. Yes. It all went downhill. You can't have chiefs serving at the whim of a mayor. Exactly. uh, And fear for their job because they will never act in the interest of law enforcement. They will first act in their self-interest, which I have nothing against. Right. We got to make a living, pay for the rent. But that's not how you need to serve the law. Yeah. yeah, it gets too much politics the in there. I, this is what we're seeing, right? Yes. Same and thing this, now. Yep. Yeah. Everywhere. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was, I was a cop back then, and I went to work for, for Disney and, and Fox and ran their security for 10 years. And then I ran two guard companies for 10 years, did the Academy Awards as part of that. And then I said, you know what? Screw all that stuff. I'm tired of this bullshit, and I'm going <laughs> to go start a radio show. So I started my own radio show about six years ago, and it's called SecurityGuyTV.com, and I, you know, I've done almost 2,000 shows. And, and we met how long ago, Chuck? About five or six years, yeah. You were one of my first interviews at Sunset Gower Studios. Yeah, but how did you find out about me? I don't remember how we... I don't remember. I, I, don't I can't remember what I had for breakfast. I'm sorry. So I, <laughs> don't make me do that. Well, I thought it was a little more memorable than that, Chuck. But anyway, <laughs> I was you in just Seattle. shot that down. No, no, I was in Seattle. Somebody said, hey, on Facebook, you ought to talk to Susan about something. And then uh, I called you from Seattle when I was visiting my cousin, and we, we talked for like two hours. That's right. And I said, hey, let's do some shows or something. Yeah. Yeah, She inspires conversation. That's right. Very high energy. And then I followed him to Orlando. Yep. One year. We did an ASIS show, right? Yep. For a a security conference down there. Pretty big event down there. All related to Under the Shield? Well, Under the Shield was brought into it. Yeah. I was doing my show and we brought her on, did some spots, and she got to schmooze with the security executives, a lot of which are former law enforcement, by the way. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, that was that was cool time. So you're going to hear, we're going to draw Chuck into this probably more than he <laughs> thinks we are. But we're just going to refer to him as the wizard behind all of this because he's the one who's producing this for us, which we are very, very thankful to have him on board because his area of expertise, I'll just tell you now, I am not a computer person. I am lucky to be able to use my cell phone. I bought my first computer in 10 years, like a couple of weeks ago. Well, look. Just, getting just up to into, all this. Yeah, into modern uh, technology here. Yeah. But I didn't realize I needed a keyboard. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I had my first computer in 1983. It was two floppy drives. Hard drives had not been invented. Oh, it cost $2,500. I made $1,200 a month as a police officer, and I had to finance it with the bank. And Michelle Maynard at San Gabriel Bank was glad to do it. And then hard drives came out, and I paid $1,200 for a 25-megabyte hard drive, which was 25 floppy disks. But how big are these things, though, Chuck? These weren't things you could carry around, Oh, yeah, you could. They? Yeah, mine was. Yeah, you could carry it. Okay. It was super heavy. It's like, like an old 80s monitor all in one unit. Right. But 25 megabytes, you can't even run Microsoft Word now on that. But that was a big <laughs> advance because I didn't have to have 25 floppy disks. And the first computer had no uh, hard drive, so you had to put your operating system in one slot and then Frogger, Quicken, and a couple other things in another. And so I've been around computers a long time and seen the progression on them. Oh, geez. Yeah, but that's new- the only reason I get it, because I have gray hair. That's the only reason I know. Well, oh, yeah. you've been doing it a while, too. I'm that's new it. to it all. Facebook, everything. All for this podcast. I, just, I everything. He did. That, and, uh, I will give him that. He's man. new to Facebook. I love that I know something you don't know. Well, that by the way, about to grow. now it's funny. So you're a young guy, right? Yeah. But this is not uncommon in law enforcement. And law enforcement is yes. five or ten years behind technology. Yes. I think yeah. my friend Paul, uh, my old my old patrol car buddy, I don't think he still uses Quicken to do his checkbook. He still flips over the back of the statement and hand writes, writes it in pencil. <laughs> because, you know, we were of an age in the 80s where people older this than us invented technology. And then people after us yep. embraced it. And we were kind of like, I'm going discoing. I'm not going out to look at a computer. What are you talking about? Just right? We're going clubbing. Chuck and Bell That's it. Yeah. But, but it's interesting. Hair. But it's interesting, Ace, that, that even today, police officers, not 
huge technology users as much as other demographics. I find that still interesting. Well, and I think a lot of them don't do Facebook and social media That's because right. of security issues mm-hmm. and, and, and their departments are now hiring companies to monitor their Facebook pages oh, to see what they're posting, who's liking those posts. We've actually had some here in the Phoenix area who got in trouble for liking another officer's post that was deemed to be somehow offensive. And I mean, I'm sorry, but nowadays everything offends somebody and I'm offended that they're offended, but that never seems to matter. We're going to touch on something I have a lot of passion in and that's that destruction from within where we're after our own. Yes. We shouldn't be worried from both sides of the line. We should all be one team against the bad guys. And that that's something that I want to push for so hard. It's, it's something that's, that's been so, mangled over the years where we have all these politicians taking places yes above us and they're just we we always talk about it like when when somebody who makes chief i hear about it about some of the new chiefs here in the valley how oh they're they're still a cop like that that shouldn't be something that we still say about like our leadership (laughs) they should all be cops exactly all all our sergeants and our lieutenants and our commanders they should all be cops they should all be from us moving up the line because they're competent not because they talk the smoothest or, be, somebody. or because they say yes the most politically correct yeah. yeah but if they're beholden to the mayor for yes. their job there's that's nothing it. you can do except and act in that interest before acting in yeah. the interest of, of the law sure and then really the officer becomes third place to that interest mm-hmm. if you think about it right sure mm-hmm. because first i got to pay my mortgage uh you know second i got to make the mayor happy and third i'll worry about the cops only as it relates to yeah. issues one and two right? absolutely so and you know another thing, and I'm going to say this is not a popular view, but uh, that never stopped me. Uh, the other thing that we do is, as law enforcement, is we bring a lot of this on ourselves. So chiefs are my age now, right? Yes. I'm that I'm that age, and I got buddies of mine that are chiefs that stayed in 35 years, and they know this stuff because they saw it change. They've seen the progress very slowly morph into this mess we have. Mm-hmm. So the question is, how did that happen when that leadership has been around that long to see this? Here's one idea. We've relied too much on tactics. Yes. We flipped to a tactical model instead of a strategic model. What's strategic? Strategic is is looking like one NM12. You got a Sam Brown and your 38 revolver and you say, hi, folks, and you're friendly to people. <laughs> and you get out of the car and you don't sit on your ass and drive around and don't do anything. You engage people. Mm-hmm. It's, we're civil servants, right? We've militarized the police. We, uh, we put vests on the outside and all this gear. All this stuff went in my posse box in the trunk. If I needed all that stuff, I went and got it. Because all I need to worry about now is whether you're going to kill me as I walk up to you. And once I stabilize that, I can go get other tools, right? And I think a lot of these guys look like Ninja Turtles. And the problem is if you fall down, Guilty. how are you gonna get up with 45 pounds, right? I mean, 30 pounds is what my motor gear was. And you know, you that was hard enough fighting in motor gear, right? Sure. And now I've told that some of these things weigh as much as 38 pounds, with all this gear on. You're not tactical that way. You yeah, think I got you're tactical? Pounds of gear on me when I'm working. Okay, so you're you're less tactical than you've ever been because you can't move as fast. <laughs> yeah. Right now you take a guy that's aged, wearing 35 pounds. I think this is an issue, and then we wonder why people are throwing rocks and bottles at us because we look scary. We look like we're going to attack. So we got to fix this uh, optics. It's optics problem. But it's got to be fixed from both sides of the aisle. I know. I think that's the problem. That's right. Is that, and again, in defense of those those vests that they put all their gear on, I do understand some of the logic behind that because of the back issues that a lot of these guys were having from mm-hmm. the belts, having everything on it, that's and trying enough. to get in and out of a patrol car now with a with a computer system in it and everything else. But we never seem to find a middle of the road. The pendulum 
for 28 years that I've seen this industry, lived it, loved it, cared about it. The pendulum has always swung from one extreme to the other. Right. We've got to find the middle of the road. Yeah. And I think the chiefs have just for, and sheriffs have just forgotten where they came from. Well, it's interesting you say sheriff. So look at uh, Sheriff Lamb here, Pinal yes. County, right? Yes. Everybody and we hope to him. have him as a guest on Everybody one day. So Mark, I'm putting you on the. Yeah. I, I'm telling Mark now. I'm putting him on the spot. He's on my Facebook page. So we expect him to be on at some I, point. I've met him a couple of times at uh, a friend of mine's uh, house and some social function. Super nice guy. He's he very is. genuine. He he speaks in person as he does on TV or whenever he's doing a, a story. But see, he's an elected official. Yes. And you know what? This is for you and this is for your horse, pal, because I, I'm elected. So you can't really put pressure on me to do things. Mm -hmm. Right. And that model works better. If you think it about does. It. The sheriffs are much more able to act. Now, I got a call. Can I do a call out to all law enforcement? Please. All Let's right. Let's do it. So penal code four, uh, 415. No, is it 415? No, penal code 148. Interfering with the police officer's duties. I would like some police officer chief somebody in california to grow some balls and say oh let's see i'm a police officer this is the police department we have hundreds and hundreds of investigations in progress and the mayor is saying let's defund the police and the city council is saying defund the police well guess what <laughs> see where this is you're going. interfering yes yep. with the police officer's function you have no right to defund the police that's not your function and I'm going to go arrest one of those assholes. And I'll tell you right now, that would stop this stuff right now. Yes. And you know me, I would do it. Yes, Chuck I got would my do chief it, fired. let me assure yeah. you. I got my chief, the two captains, three lieutenants, and a sergeant all fired from my police department, my last police department, because they were corrupt. Yes. Flat out corrupt, right? Yes. Yeah, I lost Chuck's my career. My animal. Well, I lost my career over it, right? But that was the right thing to do. But it was worth it, though, wasn't it, Chuck? Well, look, look what I'm doing now. I know. I right? agree. Sitting here looking at Superstition Mountain doing a podcast. It's fantastic, right? Yes. But these are the decisions we have to make as law enforcement officers to do the right thing. And it's not even doing the right thing because the law was made so we don't have to argue about anything. Right. Yeah. That's why there's a law. There's no arguing. That's, now, if you like to change the law, that's an argument. Sure. That's fine. Sure. So I think that's kind of what we're going to try and do here is we're going to try and give people the proper forum and conversation so that we can start spurring these kind of thoughts and ideas so that we can build a community where we can come up with solutions because coming from and i only got just under four years in law enforcement That's he's a, a baby he's yeah. just the baby police <laughs> i'm a wee baby yes but it but what we do all the time and those of you in law enforcement know this we're divas man we walk around complaining about everything there are yes exceptions. you do well, there, there's true. some guys that keep it to themselves but we we see a lot of the problems and that's kind of our job we're trained to go out there and find what's going on that's wrong right and i don't know if that's part of why we do that but we need a forum where we can kind of all come together and think of solutions and build a community where we can help each other move forward right and I think that was probably the idea of a lot of these police associations and stuff at the beginning. Yes. And that's kind of become convoluted. And a lot of us, I don't know about your department, but my department, we're not part of any union. So it's... Well, um, and even the ones out here, a lot of them are just political animals that yeah. are just sucking up to management because they don't um, want to rock the boat. So they yeah. don't have their members' best interest. Yeah. And it's interesting you're talking about that because I've always laughed in all the trainings that I do about we need to take this protect and serve crap off the side of the car because i think that's very misleading to mm -hmm. the public i've always laughed about you know if servants are necessary essential then i need three i need somebody to <laughs> cook i need somebody to clean i need somebody to do whatever i need them to do and i say y'all are problem solvers that's how we train you yeah. to get out here and solve everybody's problems well we've we've 
there's a lot of different opinions on on that idea, and you see a lot of times now with city departments and stuff. I, I notice on the side it's like courteous vigilance. Yes. I think that's one of those here in the valley. <laughs> yes. like, we get all this this really political jargon on the side, just saying how terribly polite we are. Yes. Um, sure. Then, then why are you dressed in all black, carrying a stick? I'm like, well, there's there's a reason for it all. That's so for it's when like, you aren't it, courteous if back. <laughs> if we're trying to convince you how courteous we are, then maybe we're not doing a great job. Or, I mean, I, I don't know. I feel well, like, there's, yeah, the optic side to it. Yeah. So yes. there, there's been all kinds of psychological bona fide studies that say, don't wear black uniforms. Black uniforms are associated with bad, evil, dark. It's not positive. And so right. what do they do? They wear black uniforms instead of navy blue. <laughs> they were, you know, I, I was traveling across the country several years ago in some little town. I don't remember what state it was. They had the Punisher on the hood of their police car. Uh, that's that Marvel comic. The guy's an ex-Marine, an ex-cop, yes. and he he's goes around assassinating yeah. people. Yes. And I said, uh, Officer Dude, uh, is that the right message? <laughs> Are you an assassin? What? You know, and it's like, that's not what we're trying to do here. Right? Well, I, I think you get a lot of that mentality. Uh, being super aggro as I am, uh, I, I sort of understand where that mentality, because that you were talking about the pendulum swinging from yes. side to side, right? Yes. And you get this pendulum swinging super far into like the political spectrum where everybody wants to play nice and chiefs want to give us flowers instead of guns and we're supposed to be Go out, out there. here and make friends. Yeah. And yes. so, and so I think psychologically, those of us who, and I, I, I buy into the whole uh, Grossman sheepdog mentality thing. How some of us are just born with an aggression to confront the wolf. Right. I, yes. I really like that. I relate to that. And I think that those of us that are kind of like that in an effort, it, it's almost, I don't know if it's, conscious because if it was thought about i think we wouldn't put the punisher skull on our trucks but it but if <laughs> like you have one on there is that what you're I, trying I to tell I, us I, here? I don't i don't it, but <laughs> not that i don't want one <laughs> right um but i think that we we kind of push against it so hard that we end up on that side where it's just like yeah i'm not with them so we almost do like this i'm separate from that group of political be friends with everyone idea it's just not how some of us are built and i think we push against that i don't know if it's on purpose or if it's subconscious but well i know over I'm, the 28 years i've run under the shield one of the big changes i've seen and and again i was married to it for 20 years mm -hmm. um but the big difference is the criminal element has changed drastically over the years and i remember teaching years ago in a major city and a lot of the people I had to teach management first, which is always the fun classes. Um, and I had, most of them in there had 40 years experience in law enforcement. I'd never met anybody with 40 years experience. Jeez. And I remember the guy over patrol when I made the statement, the criminal element had changed and he got up. I think he, I swear, I think he had a cane or a walker. That's how old this man was. <laughs> and I asked him, when's the last time you were out on patrol with your people? Because the reality is, kids are shooting people over tennis shoes. This was when all of that first started. And, you know, somebody look like your grandmother and walk up and ambush a cop. There, there's not a lot of consistency in what they look like. We used to know what the drug dealer looked like. Mm -hmm. Then they started becoming bankers because there was so much money in this. So they were becoming bankers and lawyers and doctors and accountants and housewives and people that I think it, 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 the wires got crossed. And I remember teaching at the Alabama Trooper Academy years ago when I first started. And I didn't, I wasn't raised in a military family. My son is uh, now a former Marine. But I remember the yelling and the screaming and the push-ups. And I remember one time walking down the hall and all these new recruits suddenly slammed themselves <laughs> against the wall going, stand clear. And I'm thinking, no, wait a minute, hold on a minute now. 
and I said something to one of the sergeants about it. And he said, well, this is, this is how we break them down, mm-hmm. to build them up, just like I'm sure my son was done at Paris Island. Mm-hmm. But what they were talking about also on the flip side was this was when community policing really was big. Mm-hmm. And I said, you can't train someone to be paramilitaristic and then expect them to be a kinder, gentler law enforcement officer out yeah, here in the field. There's failure to, to blend those together. We've got to blend them. And oh, that's I what we're not doing. I disagree. All my TAC officers, Real Hunter Police Academy, 1983, mm-hmm. were Marine DIs. Mm-hmm. And these guys were the real deal. Sure. You know, you know, all those movies you see about Vietnam. Who was the, who was the actor who was an actual uh, drill instructor once? You know, he's a... Oh, you're talking about Arlie Army? Ar- isn't that his name? Arlie... Yeah, I mean... Yeah, he passed yeah. away a couple of years ago. This, yeah. These guys were just like that. I mean, and what they did is they, they kind of bowled everybody down to the same level. But the very first word of everybody's mouth when I was a police officer was sir, and the last word was sir. Right. And, and I don't see that. I interact with cops all the time with my little shenanigans going around here at the ranch with people stealing shit. And, you know, they're not like... Besides the coyotes that come very, up and try to steal his They're dog. not very friendly. Right. They're just not... They're well, not. They're not friendly. Even in the basic think, guy standing next to you in line that you have to at the grocery store. Excuse me. Oh yeah, thanks. They're not even that friendly. They're like very stoic. And and we were taught to be professionalism was our first rule of thumb. How to speak to people properly. Those were huge classes in the academies back in the eighties. But I think that's what we mean. They're not doing that part of it. It's just so, the paramilitaristic side right, so that's for instance, not. Oh, I thought you're saying you couldn't blend the two. And I no, think, we're saying you, we have to blend the two. So yeah, yeah my, they used to, and I don't know what happened to that. Uh, I, I my think, statement was they they're they're failing to blend those two. And what I mean is, I'll explain is when when we're in the academy, at least when I was uh, three and a half years ago, they have a whole class on the differences between traditional policing and the community policing style, right? And they talk about how um, you kind of need to balance the two, but these are the downsides of some and the downsides of others. And they, when we run scenarios, there's none of that. It's all about, you know, don't get killed scenarios. So we're not, we're not training to balance those in an officer. We just give it to you on a sheet of paper and we just hope you sort out the rest. And then when you go to a department, it, it's almost like they're it kind of how I was saying we react to them and we're like super aggressive or like you were saying, super stoic and we're kind of rude. Um, I think there's, there's a divide there and one wants something from us and we want something from them and there's no middle ground because sure. we're not having proper conversations. Cause I can tell you right now, I've had to have, I've tried to have a lot of conversations with people in administrative positions, both aggressive conversation and uh and yeah, very, he's gonna get fired any day and, now but anyway yeah probably and any and and also civil conversation I've, I've tried putting up proposals things like that where you have super formal situations and it's very difficult to have an opposing conversation with somebody in those positions yes um and there's there's just a disconnect and i feel like that's probably what's behind a lot of that attitude on the road is you, cause you'll get officers that are officer friendly, mm-hmm. but they are all officer friendly. And when they show up on scenes, they can't handle their business most of the time. And every guy in every department knows who those guys are. And it, it's, it's a total divide now. There's no, the, the, I completely disagree with that. Well, now Chuck, you have been out on the street in a long time now. I, can, you I see a remember dri- that. can I see a driver's license? Go F yourself. <laughs> All right, I'm going to give them one more chance to do that. And then I'd kick their ass if I had to do it. There's a blank. Right. No, but that's what he's saying. You can be both. But the administrations won't let people do that. And there are some of us that are like that. There are some of us that can find that balance, um, but that is completely on your own. You have to find that on your own. Well, so now this goes back to how Americans train police officers. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. That's my issue. This is the key. We could do better. So the Bobbies, you know, you're not a police officer for two years. 
while you're apprenticing mm-hmm. for the London uh, Metropolitan Police, right. right? It's a it's a very in depth pro- pro- uh, program, and of course they don't carry guns. And they've been getting along for two hundred years, and they invented the thing. They invented police officers, police work, right? Modern police work. Mm-hmm. So we could learn, I think, something from that. I think I think part of this move towards tactics. Uh, it's look at decades, right? So my training officers were all Vietnam vets. And I got to say, all these guys were like super mellow guys. And I don't know what Vietnam did to them, but it made them mellow. Maybe because they were already smoking pot. I'm not sure what it was. <laughs> all right. But they were very professional. They were mellow. They got the job done. Nobody got excited about anything where I was trained and worked back in the 80s, 90s. Now what do we have? Now we have the Iraq wars come along. And now we got people coming out of Iraq and Desert Storm and all that kind of stuff. That's the new... Not the new, but it's a lot of police officers, right? And they grew up with military tactics and technology. Mm-hmm. And they want to, of course, they act the way they were trained. And I want to put on all this funny gear and all this fancy stuff and blah, blah, blah. And I'm going to be tactical. And we missed something there, transitioning from community policing, which is really, you know what? Traditional policing is community policing. Sure it is. Cop on the beat. Sure. Before there's radio cars and horses and everything, you walk the beat, right? Right. Uh, so that really is what traditional police work should be. But I think since we're so tactical now, we just lost sight of that. And but by the way, we're mm-hmm. hoist on our own petard. But here's the we? problem too: the media only focuses on those tactical events and things. They yeah, miss but that's all the, optics, the community police. But, 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 but we're giving those optics. Oh my God! You turn on the radio, or the, I mean, turn on the TV, and, and what it used to be is if Cobra City PD put on the riot gear, mm-hmm. that was news. Oh my God! Darth Vader just showed up. What is this? <laughs> they don't look like that. What are these guys doing? That was not a norm. Right. And you could distinguish something that wasn't normal. In other words, this is elevated. These guys are going to the top level here. We've got to be careful. Now you walk around and take a burglary report for your 1967 Volkswagen in tactical gear, and you're already elevated when you walk in the door, optic-wise, right? Sure. And this makes people apprehensive. You know, well, I, don't, I don't like getting pulled over, right? But unfortunately, a lot of that, again, goes back to the attitude from the public because we've gotten away. When I grew up, I remember when I got my driver's license, my parents told me, Susan, the police are the authority. You never challenge them in the field. If a cop tells you to dance on the hood of his car, you dance on the hood of his car, and then we take it up at headquarters later. Mm -hmm. But you do not challenge him. But I think the message is pretty loud and clear. Again, teaching all over this country and all different size departments, challenge the cops, and you might even get a whole lot of money out of it. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a case up in New York and I want to say it was in the 80s, and actually this is someone else I'd like to have on the show. Um, this officer, he was a young officer, came out of one of the stadiums, ran into a gangbanger with a Tech 9 who challenged him, and the officer wound up shooting him, obviously, and didn't kill him, but he paralyzed him from the waist down. And this guy, until about five years ago, was um, awarded millions, like $57 million initially, and then it was the Court of Appeals knocked it down and knocked it down. Well, I ran into Franz here in the Valley a few years back, and he was telling me that it had just been overturned and they charged him something like $100 in court cost. <laughs> we need more of that. They're getting large awards. Cities will just settle. I was a litigation paralegal 15 years. Cities will just settle for large amounts, and it's sending the wrong message out there. Well, but, but I think we contribute to that. Sure. Um, with our optics, and why do people love firemen? So because a while back, doesn't take away their family, right? Well, uh, but a while back, a I, I forgot the captain's name. He came up with a thing called Wow. Okay, and he says we have to wow people, and that's why when a fire truck comes up, 
it looks like it just came <laughs> off the factory showroom, and it's 30 years old because they polish the thing. Their uniforms are impeccable. They work out all day. They sit and eat. You know, that, it's a different optics for fire, fire, sure. and yeah, fire women, think, right? And so, so that, well, but they did that, that on purpose. That. But they did that on purpose. Sure. They did, and, and they yeah. created an image that everybody loves firemen except policemen, basically, right? <laughs> That's basically I'm true. just kidding, kids, uh, but not really, all right? Uh, just because the cops call them hose draggers doesn't mean anything. But, but, but anyway. look, at, look at 1 Adam 12 and look at uh, Dragnet and look what those shows did to present an image, optics, of a professional law enforcement officer, just a fax spam. You never saw Kent McCord get upset about anything with anybody and yell and scream and draw the right. And by the way, didn't we all think that was a fairly realistic representation? I think it was at that time. Yeah, at the time. Yeah. Now I get, people but the public changed. was different. Yes. But is the public different because we're different? And that's my argument to you. I present that we shifted before they shifted, and uh, you know, remember the yellow submarine, the Beatles' yellow submarine. Remember the blue meanies? Mm -hmm. Yep. We should not be blue meanies. All right. Really? But we, guess what, Chuck? You got to fix that. I hate to tell you, but now there are drive-by shootings at fire departments. I know, I know. Because even, it's all even that's in. changing. I, know. I, I think there's a pretty good discussion here to but have. But they're as not going to change it. They're not going to change it. We are the only ones that can change it, and I think we don't see that yet. We have to change. I think the kickback that you're going to get from a lot of these officers, being also in the tactical community, I'm on a part-time SWAT team, and we discuss gear, tactics, all this kind of stuff all the time. Is it? And a lot of times it comes back down to principles over tactics, but different conversation is it, when you have all this tactical gear, whatever you want to call it, it really, it's us, it's us trying to be prepared for situations that we yes. find most important. Totally right? fair. Totally and, fair. And you're going to, and you're going to see certain officers because most certainly I have officers on some of my squads that wear those class B uniforms. They don't have an outer carrier. They, they look spick and span. They look great. Um, and some of us just don't, it's, it's a level of comfort that we don't like, which <laughs> those things are not comfortable to wear with the undercarrier and everything. I wear steel plates and I cannot wear that on it. Well, I guess he could wear it on an undercarrier, but that's a different animal. I just still, I just still plate my, in my vest. Yeah, you could do it on the inside. Yeah. I, I haven't tried that. It doesn't sound too appealing to me, but it's a, it's a level of preparedness that they're thinking, I don't, I mean, there might be something to the optics of looking militaristic. Um, we had a discussion, me and one of the guys on my team that we were talking about this whole idea of professionalism and how they look because the department was going wild about uh, not wearing this brand of pants instead of that brand of pants and make sure your boots are polished a certain way, right? And of course, like I said, the divas that we are, we're given kickback, even though it's like we know our boots are supposed to be polished. We did it for six months in the academy. All nothing's right. changed. Um, but of course, we want to argue about it because that's how we are. So we got into a discussion about what professionalism looks like. And I think I agree with him when he was talking about how he feels like there's this idea of like the business professional look that somehow got blended in with policing where there's like this professional idea where we need to look a certain way and really pretty. Um, and when you talk about military, which he has a background in, the guy I was talking with, he had, he gave an anecdote of his platoon and another platoon. And when they would go through certain towns and they were all raggedy and whatever, but they're scanning hills and they're dirty and bloody and messy they didn't get in a lot of engagements. And the same towns that they would go through, the other platoon would go through, and they would get in engagements, but they were all pressed and rolled up and just walking around being Mr. Friendly to everybody. And I get that, it's, that war is different than policing, but I feel like the, the point of the anecdote was to say that professionalism looks different based on what you're trying to accomplish. You should look competent to the task, right? Yes. If I show up, and look, I get it to some people, when you get pulled over by somebody in a bunch of tactical gear, right, maybe that's intimidating. But I can tell you right now, when you are 
when your house is getting broken into or when you are being abused or assaulted by somebody and we roll on scene and we're looking completely capable of eliminating the threat, whatever that means, putting him in handcuffs and taking him away or taking somebody out, there is a level of comfort there. Yes. I, I've had people say it and I can see it on their faces when I show up. Kids run to me and hug me, so I don't scare everyone and I'm one of those tactical ninja turtles that, that Chuck was talking about, absolutely guilty, <laughs> right? <laughs> I got stuff all over me, but it's, and it's, I think, but like I said, I think there's a good conversation there to be had. I think that's one that we could definitely, that's a topic we could run with for an entire episode. Um, but we want your guys' feedback on this stuff too. Get in the comments, get in whatever form that we're going to be posting this on. Um, I'll be posting this on Facebook and I'll be listing on Facebook all the different forums that we're going to be touching on so that you guys can reach out in whatever's most comfortable for you. Um, and then comment, send us stuff, send us emails, uh, whatever you want to do to try and chime in on the conversation um we're gonna try and have live conversations yes here yes. at some point yep. um but this is just as soon as chuck gets it all figured out <laughs> and tells us how to do it because <laughs> he's our expert yeah but i think we also have to look at too that now and this is based on what i see it under the shield because again we're not mandated reporters mm-hmm. guys can come in and tell us they've had their gun in their mouth and we don't have to overreact and report and call mm-hmm. departments and all that kind of stuff so they do come into us but a lot of what i'm seeing is an attitude issue because of the fact things are horrible at home mm-hmm. physiologically they're not sleeping they're they're feeling like crap the departments are coming down, and we police our own more than we police the general public. And if you don't believe that, just turn on a news station today. You can burn down a police precinct, um, and nothing's going to happen to you. But you do some little minor infraction somewhere else, and you're going to jail for 20 years. Can confirm. Um, and that's that, I think, leads to great frustration because— Honestly and truthfully, the majority of police officers, and I train in academies, new recruits, all that kind of stuff, is the nature of the person is a caregiver. If I'd gone into an academy 100 years ago and said, why are you going to do this job? Because I want to help people. I hear the exact same thing today in all the academies where I teach. I want to help people. I want to make a difference. But when they aren't capable of figuring out what's going on with themselves Mm -hmm. to be in a better place, to not be sleep deprived, vitamin depleted and all these things, the body physiologically responds and it makes you more irritable, makes you jumpier. There's more anxiety. There's depression. There's all kinds of things that none of this is about mental illness. It's about we are not preparing people. We're not training them up front. We're not teaching them what it looks like. And when you get people better and balanced, they'll tell you right off the bat. My irritability levels have gone down. I'm not nearly as anxious. I'm not overreacting to things with my families or or my kids. Um, And they're going to be kinder and friendlier out here in the general public Mm -hmm. as well when it is appropriate to be. Yeah. And I think having the discussion, a phrase that I learned recently is cognitive dissidence, which I'm sure you know what that means. But it's like when you're doing something that is in opposition. But most cops, when you say that, are going to do this and scratch their head. Which is why I explained it. Yes. So. And I, I realize that, um, especially for me and then some of the guys that I'm talking to that I've recommended your way yes. is that's exactly what's happening is we can't really resolve some of the issues that we have either with the job or at home or both. And we're doing things, but we don't really know why we're doing them. And there's lack of communication, lack of understanding. And that's what we're here to try and figure out. Yes. And those are the kind of conversations we want to have. And we want you guys to be part of it. And we want you guys to send in anything you can and recommendations for, uh, 
interviews, stuff like that. We got a lot of really cool people here in the state of Arizona. We do. So we, uh, we're going to try and touch on everything you guys want to touch on. We'll be around for as long as you let us. So thank yes. you for having us. We're yes. glad you guys could join us. Yes. And we'll look forward to seeing you next time. Please get in touch with us and give us your feedback. Yeah. Thanks, Take guys. care. God bless.